cinnamon challenge without PewDiePie, you are about to enter another dimension, a dimension without sight or sound, and without makeup tutorials. Prepare to enter a world without YouTube. everyone. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Allie and I are performers who use the internet as our script in a show called Blog Logs. That was a live comedy show. We then created a web series called Two Girls, One Show, where we went on scripted adventures with people from the internet, as well as did um, interviews with them to finally meet the people behind the posts. Finally, we're bringing that all together here with Two Girls, One Podcast, where we meet people behind internet communities and phenomena that we find interesting. We're so happy that you're here. How are you today, Allie and Matt? I'm okay. Yeah? Just okay? Yeah. You know, Jen, I saw you last week and you went with it's me true. to this witch doctor. We were <laughs> we were together in Los Angeles. Yes. And you yes, did see a witch doctor. Because Jen witnessed my lack of sleep up close. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, I have slept okay every night since the witch doctor. So now I'm like, maybe he's not a witch doctor, but I've said this before where I'm like, I think this is working and I think I'm better. And then I like stop sleeping. So we'll see. So I'm okay. How are you? Yeah. Well, I'm good. But do you want to, do you want to tell us like what he did? Yeah, you got to explain. No, no, we're going to wait. And if it works out, I will report back. Oh, in a okay. teaser. All right. <laughs> Is everybody on the edge of their seats? <laughs> uh, that uh, that segment did not pay off at all. Uh, thanks yeah. for joining us. Yep. Did you have well, fun? But I do have a story for us that will pay off, but I'll tell it later. How Je- How are you, oh, Jen? How are oh, you? Okay. I'm, I'm doing well. I was so happy to be in Los Angeles last week, get some sunshine, hang out with my friend Allie. Who was a mess. <laughs> um, yeah, we should have recorded from there so we could be together. Although that oh, probably yeah. wouldn't work technically, but um, yeah, we had some adventures. We saw a variety show. We could have done like our own episode, even though yeah. technically that's true. without Matt. You just like fun one, just like in my living room. With, without Matt, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'll switch it into the show. Just next time you're together, just put the put the iPhone Memo app on and just have a chat, and then I'll, I'll cut it in. Perfect. Perfect. Do you guys want to hear that? Yes, you do. Okay. Well, we'll make it happen. <laughs> Maybe we'll make it a, a bonus uh, bonus material for our Patreon supporters. Ooh, patreon.com slash 2G1P. Also, you can tweet me at Allie Gold and Jen is at June Bunker. Bunker? <laughs> bunker. Bunker. You know, I haven't slept that bunker? much. <laughs> at June Bunker. J-O-O-N-B-U-G-G-E-R. Yeah. Well, today we're imagining a world without... What do you think? Without what? Fill in the blank. <laughs> it's YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. Without YouTube. Apparently, um, it's YouTube's 15 anniversary. Yeah, <laughs> and the big I, one five. The big one five. <laughs> it's the year 15, and I'm yeah. gonna gonna kill myself now. They've been around 15 years. <laughs> YouTube are, is almost old enough to vote, guys. That's there true. Are, next oh, that's next election. Scary. So I think that it's crazy that there are like fully formed adults who basically don't remember the world without YouTube. Because like if you're 20, you're like pretty fully formed. And I don't know. I don't remember anything before five. So So I wanted to share a little anecdote. But tell me if we already shared it before. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, go for it. So Jen, when one of our first shows, Jen and I perform, we were performing internet text and uh, this was like 2010, 2011. And we had this like sort of faux intermission where we just um, spliced together really viral moments from YouTube, which back in 2011 or so was still just like really novel. Now everybody would be like, who cares? But so we had this compilation. It's like Charlie bit my finger and some stuff like that. Chocolate rain. Yeah. Yeah. And the sound went out. So we were having like technical difficulties in the theater. And, you know, as theater dorks backstage, we're like, oh my God, what do we do? The sound's gone out, you know? Um, but the whole audience just started <laughs> filling in we didn't every talk single. Like that. Uh, yeah, we did. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they filled so, in every single word, lyric, and sound effect from the audience. No way. And it was really? almost like this crazy, like, well, yeah, because YouTube wasn't as big as it is now, right? So it, so back in like 2011, if something went viral on YouTube, it was like everybody saw it. You know what Everyone I mean? Everyone knew that thing. That's like now an amazing story. Too many things, but yeah. yeah. So every the whole audience filled it in. It was almost like this weird religious thing where everybody's like, you know, kind of looking at the sky and like yeah. <laughs> chanting this. But it was really amazing. But it was also like this weird moment where we like knew we were on to something. Um, but yeah, so the. YouTube has changed even so much since then, right? Because don't you guys feel that way? It was like when something went viral in 2011, it was like there weren't that many things that had like millions of views. So you knew about them. It was much easier to track. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Well, I think about this stuff all the time uh, of like in the 70s when there were two shows on primetime television – You'd watch the show and then you go to work the next day and people would just talk about the show. You either saw it or you didn't. And then the internet blew that wide open where they're only the most viral stuff became part of popular culture. And now millions of videos go crazy viral every day and I have nothing in common to talk about with my neighbor or my coworker because we're I'm watching this YouTube channel and she's watching that YouTube channel. And I love that culture, that sort of fractured culture, because I get to go really deep on the stuff that I care about. But I also have no common ground with my family, with my friends. You have no common ground with your family. Matt doesn't know who he's living with. No clue. Just people in my house. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm being hyperbolic, but I I view that not as a problem, but as an interesting like media artifact of our time that is only going to get quote unquote worse or accelerate, you know, make us more connected, but also make us more um, separate, which we talk about a lot on the show, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Um, and I feel yeah, like Netflix but- is a little bit taking that place. Like, I feel like I go, especially totally. well, LA is such a weird place, well, right? You go to parties and people are like, oh, have you seen this? Have you seen that? Have you seen this? But I feel like now it's a game of like, no, I haven't even heard of that. And yes, I right. have seen exactly. that one. And no, I haven't. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. going to say, it's not just LA. I feel like that happens here all the time as well in New York with people talking about what they're watching and I've never heard of it, but you know, it's sort of like a major thing with major celebrities in it. And Have you yeah, all seen so You on content. Netflix? No. That no. shit's crazy. Uh, but you know what? Don't, watch it. don't start. Yeah. Don't start. Scary. Yeah. That sort of thing I don't like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Let me just tell you, everybody dies. So, you know, you're caught oh, up. Okay. Cool. cool. Yeah, there's cool. no, no once need. you figure that out, there's really no point in watching it. <laughs> like I actually watched all of season one until the last episode because I was like, I know how this ends and I don't want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> Ellie's like, I don't know why I'm not sleeping. I'm watching the scariest fucking shit ever. <laughs> yeah, don't watch I'll be that right shit, before Allie. bed. Yeah. yeah. That's oh my god, we just solved my insomnia. We solved it. My chronic yeah, 14 you. month insomnia. <laughs> well so Mr. Matt discovered an article that he shared with us that was very interesting from The Verge called Imagine a World Without YouTube. 
the subtitle is It's Easy If You Try. Uh, but this reporter, as she's senior reporter at The Verge, Addie Robertson, breaks down what it would have looked like if YouTube had not become the behemoth that it became. Um, and it's just a cool thought experiment. Um, and it's an excellent article. So if you have a chance, Google The Verge and A World Without YouTube and see uh, what you find. But we'll be talking to Addie today. We'll link to it, too. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Still a shit show. <laughs> but in a very different way. Yeah. Different kind of shit show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love I love this piece because while and she admits too uh, publicly and, and has to us like a lot of it is fun and entertaining uh, an entertaining alternate history. I also find the core of her premise to be very, very plausible. And without getting too far in the weeds, it's sort of this idea that like YouTube is is a place where anyone can upload anything but it's still owned by a corporate entity. Whereas if the, if history had gone a different way, we would still have this sort of open, somewhat lawless web, but it would be more uh, distributed and peer-to-peer uh, the way that Napster was uh, in the earlier days of web 2.0, I want to say, or 1.5, let's say. And I, I find that idea to be very plausible given how goddamn insane it is to host like the entire world's video content like it's a fucking miracle that youtube actually exists and still exists today and if it messed if someone messed up along the way i think our internet would be very different and i think our culture would be very different and i love that thinking about that stuff well justin bieber wouldn't exist that's Mm. a big one that's a big Mm -hmm. one for all you believers Mm -hmm. out there (laughs) Um, yeah well we'll speak with Addie and she will break down a little bit what she you know uh, writes about in this article but then we'll also just get into the details of um, copyright law and all that fun stuff so she'll Mm. be here Mm -hmm. soon Mm. (laughs) welcome back Um, to the legal eagle podcast (laughs) do you guys remember when we um, interviewed the man who had started a slack for lawyers yes (laughs) oh my god of course. I, I love that episode. Y'all, that was one of our very of first mine also sent me something that's basically like blogologues for lawyers, where it's like lawyers submit their terrible stories and then they are performed. That, I'd watch that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would. Well, I'll send you a link. Like terrible clients and stuff? Like I don't know. I didn't look that deeply, but apparently mm-hmm. it's out there. Mm-hmm. So you heard it here. <laughs> uh, I'll have you know uh, that I occasionally speak... I'm not a lawyer. I have nothing to do with the legal profession, but I am occasionally invited to speak at certain legal conferences, and I play clips from our Lawyer Slack episode to get people familiar with our show and and what I do for a living, and they love it. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Oh, nice. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Matt, all right, we'll talk more off air. I want to know what you're imparting <laughs> to the lawyers. What are you teaching them? Yeah, what? Um, What's happening? But I don't, yeah, we're learning new stuff about Matt all the time. Anyway, let's let's do some trivia. Oh, let's do it. Some trivia. Uh, wait, before we get into trivia, tangential question: what, what what are your favorite YouTube videos or oh. favorite YouTube channels? What what do you like to watch? Oh, wow. Well, you've got me. <laughs> you've got me. I'm not a big YouTube watcher. You know, um, I feel like I yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not. I don't like a favorite channel. I mean, other than Matthew's channel, of course, but. Um, but when I have a tech problem, I mm, go on okay. YouTube. 
So it's more of a utility. Well, I often say there's two, there's two, the there's two YouTubes, right? There's two YouTubes. It's one, it's like, I need information. So I'm going to just search it and find it. And then the other YouTube, of course, is like, I love this creator and I subscribe to everything that they do and they're my favorite. Yeah. But I feel like Ali, like, you know, you're such a fan of Harry Potter and Star Wars. You, there, there are so many channels that are like fan theories and, uh, you know, you ideas know, honestly, around what I'd could be what. probably love it. And, but I think it would be such a time suck that I kind of don't allow myself to get involved. Sure. Yeah. But I, I've done, um, you know, <laughs> I have found a lot of curly girl hair tips on YouTube. Oh, there you go. Sure. Yeah. Which I am into. As you might expect, I look at a lot of cooking videos, but I don't have yeah. one person I like in particular. But years ago, like five or six years ago, I started following Fun for Louie. Louis Cole, who travels the world. And I think he's a pretty big one, um, pretty popular. What? So Who's that's that? the only one I've... Uh, he's just like an influencer YouTuber, tra- like a travel influencer. Like he would find like cheap ways to travel the world. And now and then he got his own, I think, National Geographic show or something like that. Oh, but he wow. really blossomed because of YouTube. Would- dance his way around the world and then he got like <laughs> sponsored by stride gum yeah. or something to like keep dancing around the world and he just would dance that's in different right. locations a, is he that still dancing er- like yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was early but that's yeah, a that great was, like, uh, the that, most you just brought back memory of like, of like early youtube phenomena that were more viral and silly and weird and and the and everyone in the culture was like yeah the dancing guy yeah right. chocolate rain like yeah that's that was a different time in in our history here so mm-hmm. i love it Mm-hmm. A mere seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, today's trivia is, of course, about YouTube. A pretty simple question. We've had a, a good bit of YouTube trivia over the course of our show. Today's question is simply, what is the most disliked YouTube video of all time? Now, of course, Dislikes. if you're familiar with YouTube, this is very interesting to me because Mark Zuckerberg and the Facebook ecosystem, like the like button was such a like critical social media moment and it was only a positive thing. And Facebook never, I, I, things are a little different now, but they were adamantly like, we will never have a dislike button because we want Facebook to be a positive place. YouTube, for as long as I can remember, had two options. One, I like this video. And two, I dislike this video. And things that people got angry about on YouTube would get a lot of dislikes and theoretically would be less visible in the algorithm. I don't know. Uh, So there are metrics here about the most disliked video of all time. Obviously, I'm going to give you the titles of three extremely viral popular videos which is the most disliked. And I'll give you a, a quick context clue here. All of these videos are extremely disliked. I'm looking for which one is the most disliked by YouTube users. Are you ready? I'm ready, but Matt, have you given us this trivia before? I know, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? We it have done familiar. We have done similar. <laughs> see see how you see how it goes. We see have done goes. similar okay, questions, okay. but but see see maybe, you know. I had the same thought. I, I think I'm okay here, but let's see. All right. A Baby Shark. B. (laughs) Friday by Rebecca Black, the famous music video. Or C. YouTube Rewind from 2018. I I, I presume you're familiar with YouTube Rewind. No, I don't even know. No, what is that? Okay. Every year, YouTube hires a production company to gather together all, not all, many, many famous 
top influential creators on the platform and they do like this crazy expensive elaborate music video then they publish it and it usually goes out in like november december it's like a wrap-up of the year and it's very well produced and it features usually the most um brand safe brand friendly type of creators and it just generates bajillions of views because YouTube always like serves it to you on the homepage. And uh, so among these choices, YouTube Rewind 2018, which is the most disliked video of all time over 15 years of YouTube history. I think it's too obvious, but I'm going to go with Friday. Great. And I, <laughs> to diversify, because that's what I was going to choose. Uh, I will go with, I'm going to go with A. Baby shark. Baby shark. Okay. We will find out which YouTube video is the most disliked of all time after this important commercial break. And now a very real advertisement entitled Kick Me in the Balls. $20. From the website where I learn all of my self-defense techniques. Craigslist. Need a good laugh? Some stress relief? Whatever it may be, give me three swift kicks to the balls for $20 and don't feel guilty about doing it. I've literally had guys in cowboy boots and steel toes do it, so don't be shy. I have bills to pay. Hit me up. That was a really relevant ad for this episode because, in a way, YouTube has kicked us all in the balls, has it not? Mm. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, they. <laughs> but we weren't asking for it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, remember America's Funniest Home Videos—the yes! only place to watch people getting kicked in the balls before YouTube. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, when you think about it, that really was the precursor and indication that YouTube was going to be a smashing success. Absolutely. <laughs> Good point. Yes. So let's hear the most disliked video. The most disliked video in the history of YouTube. I know you both are on the edge of your seat and so are our listeners, but... Before we do that, I was just perusing our reviews oh, no. and spotted one we have not discussed yet. Really? On a, 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 an Uh-oh. app called Stitcher. This is a review from Fidesa. Hey, Fidesa, hopefully you're still listening. This person, guy or gal, I don't know, says, super fun show. Interviews with very diverse people that represent all kinds of internet communities from Esperanto speakers to bronies. The show is really funny, but... Jokes are never at the expense of the people they interview. Best advertisement of any podcast I've ever listened to. Actually, I misread here. Uh, The show is really funny, but jokes are never at the expensive of the people they interview. (laughs) Best advertisement ever. Well, we don't like to charge them for the interviews. but No, it it is free. (laughs) Thank you, Vanessa. That was really lovely. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and yeah, quick reminder, if you are, we have a lot of longtime listeners who we value very much. If your podcast app of choice has a review feature, uh, do us a favor, leave a review. It, it is very helpful. It helps uh, circulate the show in various lists and algorithms in that app and, and gets new listeners into the show. So we always appreciate it. Thank you so much. And now the answer to today's trivia, 
What is the most disliked YouTube video of all time? Jen went with A, Baby Shark. Probably the most annoying song ever written uh, in human history. So I think that's a very good guess. Uh, B, Friday by Rebecca Black. That was Ali's Choice. Uh, one of the most famously also bad songs. Uh, what's the history of, of, this, uh, of this thing? It was a, a teenage girl who... Her parents paid a production company to make a, to make her famous, and and boy did she get famous. Spot on. Yeah. <laughs> C, YouTube Rewind, YouTube's uh, gathering together of all its top influencers. Uh, YouTube Rewind 2018 was the third choice. Uh, no one picked that. No, I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay. Are you sticking with your answers? Yeah. Yeah, sticking with it. I, I always ask that, and I don't know if you've ever changed your answers. I know. Well, I don't like to second guess myself, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Confidence. The correct answer is you should have changed your answer because the most disliked video of YouTube is YouTube Rewind 2018. Shoot. So what happened? Why was it such a crazy mess? YouTube culture is so multidimensional. So when YouTube corporate is like, here's all the most popular people on YouTube. And here's a big music video of featuring all of them. Like this thing is like amazing from a production point of view. Like it's always, I am always impressed by what they managed to create and bring together YouTubers from all over the world to participate in it. It's very creative. It's very clever, but it's also like super slick and corporate. Like it's become very somewhat manufactured at this point. So that's part of it. But I think the real issue here is that they don't include probably some of the biggest, most monumental YouTubers on the platform because those YouTube, those YouTubers are not quote unquote brand safe. So they put, they really typically put like the very pretty makeup people and the whatever, and they don't include like people who do hard hitting interviews and they don't include a lot of the, the video game people. And like, there's just, there's a huge, massive chunk of the culture that is not represented in these YouTube rewinds. So a lot of the fans get angry about that and they downvote it or, you know, they dislike it. And then what tends to happen is like a lot of these really influential YouTubers will make their own version of YouTube Rewind, which is like a low budget, like, what about this guy? What about this girl? And remember this, these people, these are the real YouTubers, quote unquote, not the corporate YouTubers. And it becomes this every year. It's like this factional thing that happens that I find very fascinating. And like people dislike YouTube Rewind more than they dislike Baby Shark. That's wow. fucking crazy. Yeah, to me. yeah, that is really crazy. So I think it's time. Let's get into her interview because she's here. Please welcome Addie Robertson, who is senior reporter for The Verge. Welcome, Addie. Hey. Hey, how are you today? Good. Nice to be here. We were curious just to get started. What inspired this article and um, how did you go about sort of painting this alternate history that we'll hear about in a moment? So like a lot of Verge things, this started as people talking in a Slack channel about, hey, it's 15th anniversary of YouTube. We should do something. What if YouTube never existed? And I like spinning ridiculous counterfactuals. And so I ended up being the person who did it. And basically, I went back to remembering what college was like um, because I was just out of high school when YouTube launched. And I kind of went back and was waxing nostalgic about all of the weird video stuff then and how copyright was a huge deal 
And I just sort of spun out from there. (laughs) Nostalgia for copyright. I love it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) Interestingly for me and Ellie, we were just out of college when it launched. So yeah, it's like just entering the real world as performers. We were like, oh, wow, we have this whole new platform. (laughs) Yeah. I think if you could tell us a little bit about the real history, that'd be great because actually um, Matt plagues us with trivia every episode. And a while back, he gave us the trivia I think Matt write about how like what did YouTube start as and it started as a dating service and and yes. none of us got that right. So I think a lot of people aren't familiar with even the real history of YouTube. So I was wondering if you could give us like a very brief rundown on that. Yeah. So it is 2005, Valentine's Day, and the founders of YouTube, Steve Chen, Joed Karim, and Chad Hurley decide they want to start a dating website. And its motto is tune in hookup. And the idea is that you upload videos talking about yourself or your ideal dates. It's not clear that this model was ever incredibly well thought out, but basically nobody wanted to do this, but they all wanted to upload videos of their life. And so there was a weird transitory period where they just uploaded a bunch of videos of airplanes, I think, to try to keep the site (laughs) online and keep material on it. And then it really completely exploded within six months. And then obviously there was a lot of copyrighted material. People posted videos, they posted clips. It started becoming the thing that people love now. And at a certain point, there was the question, is YouTube going to get sued into oblivion the way that Napster did? And turned out, no. Actually, NBC starting um, decided, hey, this is actually a really good deal for us. We're going to sign on with YouTube. We're going to make sure that they have some kind of process for taking down material, but we're mostly just going to treat this as another promotional channel. And so YouTube makes deals with all of these big companies. It is acquired by Google, which has its own video service, Google Video, but nobody likes it. And then YouTube just kind of grows. It ends up shaping a bunch of huge cultural phenomenon. It partially creates the entire game streaming genre. And then it faces a bunch of terrible challenges involving trolls and abuse and child exploitation and weird algorithmic recommendations. And it's a massive chunk of the internet now. Great. Uh, So do you think that was the turning point, like whether companies signed on or not? I'm just going to preface this by saying that I wrote a lot of this piece based on what I thought would be entertaining and not what I necessarily thought was going to be the most plausible. But yeah, I actually do think that the deal with NBC was a really huge deal. That NBC started off, um, they saw the SNL Lazy Sunday clip, and this was going massively viral across YouTube, and they sent a takedown notice. And then a few months later, they were like, wait, no, let's not do this. Actually, we're going to start a channel. And it seems like that was sort of a signal that YouTube's actually a legitimate thing that we want to deal with, that it occupies an interesting space in the ecosystem. And so everything kind of diverges from there in my alternate history. Mm-hmm. Great. So with that said, uh, would you mind painting a little bit of that alternate history for our listeners? Okay. So 2006 again, YouTube big, very big, and people are wondering whether it's going to get shut down. And SNL still, Lazy Sunday becomes huge there. 
But NBC is working on this project called Hulu, which is a sort of amorphous streaming video service that's a big joint venture and everyone makes fun of its name relentlessly. Um, that actually happened in both worlds. Um, but basically, they decide we're going to go with this other streaming service and YouTube is just a threat. And so everybody goes after YouTube. Um, YouTube doesn't get acquired by Google, which decides it's just a risky bet. And there are all of these other little video services that companies can sort of snap up and turn into their own personal streaming services. And Google, meanwhile, decides we're not going to buy YouTube, so we're going to expand this stake in AOL for this joint venture with Comcast. And so they become this sort of dry more uh, button-down company that does infrastructure for, like, your AOL homepage. Um, and so YouTube completely tanks. But then that basically splits the internet into two paths. The first one is a bunch of very heavily licensed and curated video services that are run by Sony or um, NBC Universal, which acquires the service that's going to become Twitch. And they kind of play with all of the things that would show up on YouTube, like 24-7 uh, like life casting um, and streaming, but they don't really get comfortable with it because they're not just going to let people upload whatever they want. They are kind of struggling with creating this more curated, less risky system. Um, meanwhile, though, there's another option, which is peer-to-peer -peer distribution. And so in, without somewhere where it's really easy to upload your video, i.e. YouTube, there are these little mesh networks and peer-to-peer -peer services that you can distribute your videos over. And they're kind of free-for-alls. They're one, say, loosely tied to the Pirate Bay. They're lawless and they're fun. And they're also kind of local that you can have the same way you'd have a peer-to-peer -peer hub on your college campus, you would have a video mesh net. Um, Apple also acquires the talent behind YouTube and puts them on FaceTime. And FaceTime becomes slightly less of a you're making a phone call on your camera and more like a very small-scale broadcasting system. Also, Microsoft acquires Second Life. <laughs> this creates a problem, though, which is that in 2011, there is this massive push to pass a law called SOPA. In our real world, that failed. Everyone hated it. Google blacked out their site for a day to protest it. In this world, Google's actually partnered up with Comcast, which loves it. And so SOPA passes, and they crack down on all of these video mesh nets. There are, there's this bifurcation of the internet where you pretty much can't legitimately run a peer-to-peer -peer service, but they're incredibly popular. And then this just kind of keeps spreading out that by 2016 to 2020, there are these very clear, large, popular performers like PewDiePie, who hosts a Comedy Central show, Pew.0. Um, and then there are also these little regional hubs that are called stream towns that end up becoming really paranoid when there are these police crackdowns on mesh nets and propaganda starts circulating on them. Um, there are conservative political action groups that secretly buy them up and start trying to run local versions of them that astroturf propaganda, Comcast, Google, AOL, NBC, Universal. 
sort of shapes the news coverage of this crackdown. And so you end up having a minor war between this very heavily locked down big media ecosystem and this more anarchic and open, but also in some ways very dangerous peer-to-peer infrastructure. And then it's 2020. And Apple launches a FaceTime application that is basically just YouTube, um, but it's called FaceTime Dating. Mm. Wow. So <laughs> yeah. do you think this sort of dystopia sort of state that we're in was inevitable? Because it seems like that's happened in reality and in your alternate world. I think that that was maybe me punishing myself a little bit because... Okay, you know, you're I not responsible for this. So you, 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 <laughs> didn't, you didn't create YouTube. You just, you know... It's okay. It's more that I think that my alternate history is a little bit of a wish fulfillment dream that if that were the world we were living in, then I would be able to run with my natural inclination to say, look, this problem is these big corporations. They're terrible. And actually, it turns out that if you have all of these gatekeepers, then they're going to make life miserable for people and all the creative stuff is going to have to happen underground. And that would be a much more comfortable position for me to be in. And so I felt a little bit required to say that actually, no, there would be all these terrible dark sides. And as long as you have an internet or any kind of open system where people can just say whatever they want, some of people are going to do terrible things with it. So you, you want to be able to blame the corporations, but you feel that you can't because it's the people. I think it's both. It's a little weird to me how much the current conversation around tech seems to be based on we need to have these benevolent tech dictators that can make everything safe for us. And so this is a little bit of my counterfactual exploring what would happen if actually we got that. And I also, however, don't want to downplay the fact that the Internet has always throughout its existence been able to foster some pretty gross stuff like bulletin board systems always to some extent had white supremacists. Stormfront was an early internet site. Like any kind of open system that makes it very, very easy for people to find common interests is I think inevitably going to end up making some people who have terrible interests find each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the crux and dilemma of this podcast. We're fascinated by how the Internet has allowed people to find each other, but it also allows white supremacists to find each other. Yeah, it's a different kind of gatekeeper. But um, in your alternate world, Congress understands what the hell is happening. So what's that? (laughs) What's that about? Science fiction. Wait, which part is Congress understanding what's happening? Well, you know, like in 2011, they like have their shit kind of together, it seems like in your version. And in the real world, I feel like they really, really have no idea. 2011, I mean, I based a lot of this on the real SOPA fight, which had, was surprisingly Congress being good at maybe coming up with an idea that was, however, a very, very bad idea. Um, But it was pretty coherent. It had the backing of a lot of Hollywood lobby folks. And it was, I feel like copyright in some ways is the one area where everyone is competent. Like I have this theory that eventually the only law is going to be copyright law and everything's going to get routed through it. So like if somebody's harassing you, you find a way to make like 
prove that they're violating your copyrights. <laughs> um, and so that's just sort of a guiding principle around things. If someone said, wait, what? Go on. If someone said, oh, you, they- you prove that they violated your copyright law? Like, do I copyright my body? Yeah. No, that is like an actual thing that is part of the debate in revenge porn, which is that the easiest way to get stuff taken down is to prove this is my picture. You have to take Mm. it down because there's no safe harbor or there's like a limited safe harbor for sites that don't take down copyrighted stuff. Um, And that's why YouTube copyright strikes are also a huge deal because YouTube has content ID and has a sort of opaque strike process. And so if you don't agree with someone, then you will censor them by flooding them with takedown requests. Eventually, copyright law is going to be the only law on the internet. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wait, you think so? I think it already kind of is and probably will become less so, but people underestimate how much it is the only law. Hmm. Well, keeping in the vein of politics, um, you have Hillary Clinton win in 2016, but your alternate history is Donald Trump poised for 2020. So do you think then that the internet would inevitably carry him to victory at some point? No, I think that's just me wanting to write a compelling story. And at some point, if you want to write a compelling alternate history, then it works best if you rope in people that are already part of our history. I could probably have ended up finding some kind of counterfactual where there's someone who's not Trump. But I think it's also pretty plausible that, say, the far right would realize that we're getting cracked down on in Congress and in the White House. We need to really try to get somebody in who is going to just make a relentless assault on the political mainstream. So so we're screwed then. Um. I will also note, though, that there's a grassroots group that's trying to build an anarchist alternate internet. So that's what I'm holding out hope for. An an anarchist internet. Another Uh, one. No, like (laughs) anarchist in the political sense. Right. right. But there are people working on this. Uh, Yes, they're called Occupy Airwaves. What? Okay. Yeah, okay. Can you tell I us a little bit of... more about them? I need to pause um, and do more research for this episode. I know. So sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This is not real. I should. Should I be clear? This is the fake thing that doesn't exist. Oh, great. I got so confused between reality. Fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Okay. So in your world, they're pirates um, forming a new internet. But in the real world, that's not happening. So uh, I'm so lost. In the real world, it does, but they're old Nazis. In the real world, world, there was a movement after Charlottesville to create a bunch of darknet services that were going to serve as an alternate internet. Um, More on the positive side, I think something like Mastodon is a pretty good example of trying to build a decentralized non-commercial service that escapes a lot of the problems that we have with the internet but without relying on these kind of massive centralized gatekeepers that don't necessarily have our best interests at heart. Can you elaborate for our listeners and perhaps our hosts? Yeah, no, Mastodon is a decentralized social network. It works on a interface level a lot like Twitter. You, It's a microblogging service, but the idea is that it's something called a Fediverse. So you have these very, these privately run nodes that can have their own rules about what content you can post, when you have to put in warnings. But if you follow somebody, you can find people and look them up on other nodes. And if you follow somebody on another node, then there's some limited level of interplay between the two. So you can sort of see what people are posting outside your instance of Mastodon. 
This is overwhelming. Okay, I have a question for you. Speaking of Nazis again. So how, how in the real world, how can we allow positive groups to find each other on the internet? Say furries, uh, but not Nazis. It, like, is copyright law our only um, line of defense? A lot of this depends on knowing how much a lot of these far-right groups are actually independently powerful and how much they are being supported by outside interests that are kind of giving them a boost. Like in my alternate history, the Mercer family, which exists in real life and supported Trump Mm -hmm. formerly, um, is helping to fund a lot of this stuff. Like I think astroturfing is actually a pretty big part of the far right, but I don't know how much. So I don't know how powerful internet Nazis would be without it. Wait, so astroturfing is really powerful. Isn't astroturfing where you make a group seem bigger than it is? I'm using it in a pretty general sense. In some ways, like the most traditional use of astroturfing is like a giant oil company makes a fake activist grassroots group. It's basically the literal term is anything that seems like it's grassroots, but it's actually fake. But it's not. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, Um, okay, so continue. Nazis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think a lot of the stuff that I ended up coming back to as I was writing this, though, was that I'm kind of limited by the fact that a lot of these things are based on real world circumstances that don't have anything to do with the internet. Like, in my world, there are far right internet compounds, basically, that exist because there's not really a great infrastructure if you're in a lot of rural areas. And so sort of the only way you can end up getting a community is by finding whoever you can. And sometimes that is the far right. Um, And I think a lot of problems with the internet right now are caused by the fact that we just have a really awful social safety net that if you want to find out information about your health, then you're going to go online and accidentally find anti-vaxxers because you can't go to the doctor or because your doctor is horribly patronizing to you or that you don't have a support network of people at home because we don't necessarily have a really great geographic community support network. So I don't know. I think the question is what factors offline would have to happen to make being a Nazi less attractive. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That I think is education. I think our education system is fucked because Jen and I have spent a lot of time in like really weird wormholes because we used to perform internet text. And one of the craziest things we ever found were these forums where they were saying, don't get an education because education makes you liberal. Uh, That freaked me out more than anything. Not the idea that like maybe an education opens you to these new ideas and then therefore you may become liberal, maybe not, but that an education would make you liberal and therefore you shouldn't get one. And I I feel that like the state of education in this, at least in this country, is why uh, these ideas are proliferating. Um, I mean, I I grew up evangelical and so there was pretty much a truism that going to college was going to, you had to stop yourself from believing in evolution or things like that. So, And how did you deal with that? I went to college. (laughs) I I honestly ignored it. Cool. (laughs) I mean, I also recently met this guy who's teaching empathy in schools with the idea that empathy should be taught like math, which I think is kind of a cool idea. Um, But until that takes off, uh, I guess uh, copyright law. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think Dana Boyd's point about, so she wrote this very long essay about how media literacy in schools could also create its own set of problems because if your entire point is just teach people to think critically, then that just means that their default position is to never believe anything. 
and that lets people fall for kind of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When people question too much. Um, okay. So there's no, there's no hope. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Before we move onward and upward here, I, I, I have a, a philosophical question that is echoing a lot of Ali's questions, but perhaps less specific to extremism and Nazis or et cetera, which is like, you have presented what I thought were two extremes, a corporate controlled destination for online video, which is the YouTube we know today, and a sort of Wild West free-for-all peer-to-peer thing where there's no rules and no policing, which can foster extremist things. And the extreme versions of either of those are not great for all the reasons that we've just talked about. But in hearing this conversation, I'm suddenly struck by the idea that like a mature YouTube, which consists of corporate buy-in from copyright holders, creator culture where you can do pretty much anything you want, and rules about copyright and hate speech and a government that actually makes laws that cares about uh, removing those things from this public discourse, those things mixed in a pot together and matured theoretically could create the best version of the internet we could hope for. And that to me seems better than this lawless peer-to-peer thing which on its face is like, yeah, the internet we always hope for, but then we realize now in 2020, oh shit, that's probably not good. A, does that make any sense? And B, do you agree that we have like, that YouTube, despite its flaws, is pretty okay? Or is there another version that could have played out that that would be a better internet for everyone? I don't know, because I don't know what you can do at the kind of scale that YouTube operates at. Like YouTube is just It is mind-boggling and, frankly, amazing that they do any moderation at all, no matter how badly they screw it up half the time. Like, I'm just not even sure whether you can have a system like that that is moderated and regulated in a way that doesn't allow for some really terrible stuff. Also, if you want to deal with hate speech, like if we're, our deal is that we're going to get rid of the First Amendment or substantially change the First Amendment, that is a much larger conversation. And I think that gets lost a ton. Like, I think that you can't, like, you can't regulate taking hate speech off YouTube in the US. And if we say that shouldn't be true, that opens up a lot of very, very large questions we have to debate. And that gets to your your earlier point, which is like, let's let's maybe accept for a second that like we cannot stop people from saying what they want on the internet. Period. Full stop. It's impossible to police it. Therefore, a solution to mitigating problematic speech or whatever is societal safety net, educational. You can't fix it on the internet. You have to fix it at the society level. And I agree with that. And I love that. And it that I didn't think that would, I didn't think we would arrive there. And I'm glad we did. I mean, I think there's also a slightly scarier version of that, which is that, look, if you really wanted to, yeah, you absolutely could police this stuff. Like the Chinese internet manages to really heavily police a ton of content oh, and people yeah. get around yeah. it. But like, it's not even that you can't police YouTube. It's that the version of YouTube you would get if we did police it in the way that I think sometimes people kind of edge toward, I just think would be worse than the alternative. Mm -hmm. 
I don't like to see hate speech and bad stuff, but I, I will accept the you know proportionally small amount of it in exchange for this vibrant creator culture that you know I mean YouTube is is like the library of Alexandria like it is the the record of all human audiovisual knowledge throughout human history and if it were to go away it we would we would lose just like an insane amount of our like civilization culture you know and that would be sad and i'm i'm bummed that it's controlled by one company but i'm also happy that that one company understands how to keep it running and operating so we can upload whatever 500 million hours a minute or whatever the heck it is i also just think there's a bunch of cool stuff there that i wish i had had when i was growing up like totally Tutorials, even if you're just focusing on tutorials, there are so many things I could have learned that I struggled through terrible craft books for. Um, maybe I would know how to put on makeup. It would be great. <laughs> I would be so good at cat's at cat eye eyeliner. I would be Oh fantastic. my gosh, so good. <laughs> so good. You'd be killing it with the cat eyeliner and you'd believe the world is flat. <laughs> That's the no world problem. I want to live in. Right. It's uh, it's a balancing act, yeah. guys, okay? Yeah. So, you know, now that we're kind of speaking in a lighter way, we're curious to know why hasn't video dating taken off in your opinion? <laughs> because we often discuss that we think it would be so much easier on a first uh, coming across somebody the first time to tell more about them in this way. But it seems like it is inevitably never yeah, going to take off for YouTube. Just stay in dating. <laughs> Whatever it was called, YouTube dating, face dating, face date. I don't know. Why did all these tech companies YouTube. start as a dating thing, right? It's like there was like the hot or not led to Facebook and then like YouTube. Was yeah, dating. it's all about dating. I yeah. mean, technically, you could say video dating did have a really good run in the 80s or so. Oh, yeah, those clips are amazing. And you can find them on YouTube. Actually, great. Um, I don't know. I think also apps, dating apps, which I don't actually really have any firsthand experience with post OKCupid. Oh, you little bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I think they've actually added video features, but I think it's some ways, I mean, I, 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 maybe this is where I should just back out because I have a really awful understanding of how people date and why they date and <laughs> all right things like that. me too girl me too i don't know I, I so don't honestly know. i have no idea yeah cool 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 so okay the thing is though if um nbc hadn't moved forward as it did and youtube had failed don't you think it would have just been like a myspace facebook kind of drama where basically an identical competitor would have popped up and succeeded it's plausible my slightly hand wave for it in this is that there was this massive legal disincentive to do this and that it was paired with the fact that actually video is super bandwidth heavy. And so there was a real level of investment you would have to take against a potential legal threat. And I think there's a world in which that's enough to make anyone decide they don't want to deal with the hassle. I think it was also entirely plausible that's wrong and there would be another thing that was like YouTube. I'm in your camp, uh, Addy, because it's like saying Napster got sued into oblivion. Why didn't another Napster just appear? And there were others of its time that kind of flew under the radar, well, but it took 10 to 15 years for Spotify to make, to, to not, and Spotify is not peer to peer. It is a corporate entity. And it it slowly said, let's make a deal with Sony. Let's make a deal with Columbia. Let's make a deal. And they eventually, and even when Spotify launched, it didn't have everything like it has now. It was a slow thing. It wasn't the same as Napster. And I think that that 
analogy right. probably supports Addie's but history. Eventually, we did get music streaming for consumers yes. where you don't, you know what I mean? I haven't bought yes, a CD totally. in a very long time. Yes. I mean, the thing I'm most interested, like the thing I would like to see most if my scenario actually, if I could somehow see it play out in real life is I'm really curious what it would do to user generated content. I'm really interested in what a world would look like where you don't have the assumption that you can just put anything on the internet whenever you want and have it be widely seen by anybody. Even if that's just because you have to wait for somebody like some moderator to click a button and put it up for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a better place. Yeah. I think that would be better. (laughs) It might accept that again, the scale YouTube operates on is just absolutely vast. Right. You'd have like a team of like a million moderators, but that's cool because like when self-driving cars hit the road and we no longer need taxi drivers, they can all become moderators. This is where I should plug my colleague Casey Newton's horrible, horrible tragedy stories about moderation. Yeah, no, that's yeah. what I was going to say. And then we're going to need a team of psychologists to deal with all the moderators <laughs> who are scarred from the content because I read that story too. <laughs> hey, jo- job creation, baby. Then we create robots that take over all that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then the robots lead an uprising because we've made them watch so many terrible YouTube videos. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And the robots are also probably going to be racist because they'll be made <laughs> by white men and studies show that they are racist. <laughs> so cool, 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 cool. Matt, you're supposed to be the optimist here. <laughs> uh, well, this is this is a whole topic. I'm so intrigued by this difference in the streaming, in the music streaming, because Hmm. We we had Napster and that got blown away, and then there was no for ye, for decade a decade or two, there was no reasonable expectation that you could upload any audio you want to the internet. It just wasn't a thing for years and years and years. To, whereas, to be fair, I did spend a lot of time on SoulSeek and LimeWire. Oh yes, yes, yes. I guess I mean there was no YouTube of audio until Spotify came around. And then when Spotify finally came around, like Spotify is not a, like a, you're, you're not learning eyeliner tricks on Spotify. You're just Wait, listening what? to Taylor Swift and whatever. Channels, Matthew. Bandcamp or SoundCloud, I think would be yes, probably the but they never, But they never became uh, dominant forces in the culture, I would argue. You know yeah, what I mean? Spotify the way YouTube is, is. Pretty much exactly like the corporate YouTubes in my story. It, that, yeah, exactly. That's what I, I guess that's what I'm getting at. So your alt history played out for music, but it didn't play out for video. And that is super fascinating to me. Yeah, I guess so. I hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. You mean, because like, not, you can't, like, there's no place where like, you can upload any music you want. I think that's because totally. bad music is so bad. But bad video is bad too. <laughs> I know, why, but like why in do a people... kind of lovable way sometimes. You know what I mean? I know. Like, why is yeah, that? Yeah, do have just like some dude... Uploading his like off key singing just makes me want to stab my eyes out with a fork. Yeah, you know what I mean? why? But, like, that's, that's so not interesting. Quite, like in, you actually have some really bad videos, like music videos on YouTube, but they're so bad that they go viral. I don't know uh-huh. that that would happen with just audio. Yeah. But that's an interesting point. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Addy, uh, do you love or hate YouTube? <laughs> I really love that YouTube exists. Um, I am uncomfortably indifferent to a lot of what people call YouTube culture. I also think it's very interesting that it exists. And I like that there is this entire thing that I really feel completely way too old to be in touch with. It's fun. (laughs) 
Don't say that. We're even older than you are because you already told us that you got YouTube when you graduated high school and we were graduating college. <laughs> I just can't believe how how much these services have fundamentally changed the world in a relatively short period of time. Uh, like, especially as theater dorks, like we graduated in like the old world and then this thing just took over where now if you, yeah, that's a, that's a longer story. We'll talk about that in the wrap. <laughs> yeah, no, everything happens really fast now. How do we prevent becoming old ladies who don't understand the internet? I worry about that so much. <laughs> I think I'm trying to just embrace it. My inspiration is William Gibson. William Gibson seems like he stays cool and understands everything. And so somebody can do that. Yeah. Well, you're working at The Verge, so you're good. You're the front lines. I think this is a, a debate in like larger history, you know, the history of like the Roman Empire, which is like, would things, does history just play out in a way that we expect it to looking back or it, or is it made by individual people who were in a room with Julius Caesar who said, hey, do this, don't do that? So like, did, did this entire alt history hinge on a couple employees or executives at NBC Universal where everyone in the room was like, this YouTube is crazy. It's going to eat our business. This We got to shut it down. And one person was like, actually... If we upload all our SNL clips to YouTube, it'll be super popular. And that that single person theoretically changed the entire internet, and but didn't know it at the time. It could be that. It could also be that there were a long series of these meetings. And so it was just like a dice roll that yeah. each one of those things, it did matter a ton that there was that one individual person who did this thing, but that the entirety of history was shaped sort of in aggregate by all of these people and eventually just it sort of collected into a collection of events that then everybody in the future will massage into whatever narrative they think they want to believe <laughs> yep i like that though that it all came down to one dude named steve he was an intern he was like yeah we should really, <laughs> really put everything on there see so what happens you know boom change the world um, all right. Well, all right, thank Addie. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's super fun to talk about stuff that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. We agree. <laughs> like my career. No, what? Okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> all right. Well, that was overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very cool that she did this alternate look back um i want addy to put on her futurist hat because i think she has a really smart mind <laughs> mm. and it would be really cool i mean we didn't really ask her like what she sees happening down the line but um you want to know yeah. like what's gonna happen with the election or like yeah 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> we need to get her as just a consultant <laughs> yeah oh but the story i started to tell during the interview is that we graduated in like a traditional world, really, like YouTube started in 2005, but like, I don't know, I, I, I graduated, you graduated 2005, I graduated 2006. I, we never like sat around watching YouTube videos. No. I don't think it really like took off till the next year, maybe. But yeah, yeah, we graduated in this really traditional world where like, especially as theater dorks, it's like you're supposed to like create your own shows and then you'll get meetings with networks. And like, we did all that. And then everyone was like, you should go make a web series because yeah. the whole world had changed. What was also so strange. Yeah. Um, we, we went to college with, uh, what's his name? Justin Kahn. 
So yeah, we, for Justin TV, and he's all over her alternate history. Oh, yeah, interesting. And we're seeing that. Kind did you know of, him personally? I did not. Yeah. Ellie, did you? You did. Okay. Yeah, we were in the same residential college. He's he's a nice guy. I ran into him somewhat recently on the dance floor in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I remember at the time his Justin TV was unfolding, like being like, "What is this?" Like it made no sense, and I was like, "This will never be successful." <laughs> well, what's funny is I remember when people were like, "Oh man, have you heard about Justin? He like strapped a TV on his head. He's running around like he's gotten real weird. Like everybody like thought he would got was crazy and was like being a weirdo. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh man, Justin. Like the right. rest of us have jobs. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> jokes on everyone else. Now he's a billionaire. Yeah. Yes. You really know. You never know history is being made in the moment that it's being made. Like you said, it's like some intern Steve, like who like changes everything or whatever. Yeah, yeah I remember it was like gossip. I was like, well, what does he do if he like goes on a date? Like, what does he do when he goes to the bathroom? All of us were like, what? Justin's gone off the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> Justin owns the world now. <laughs> but yeah, well, it's the foresight you, for these insane ideas. Yeah. For every successful startup that makes a million dollars, there are, are a trillion that are stupid and, and fail. But uh, my question for you both as performers or, or creative people is like, which world do you prefer? Because um, in the old world, as we as you just called it, you know, you are beholden to like, you got to go on auditions and you got to, if an, you have to have a network or an agent like you and well, give no, you a not shot. Exactly, Cause in the old world, they would, they still said like, create your own shows, which is what Jen and I did. Sure. Yeah. But, okay. So, so you, you actually existed allowed, in a hybrid world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the internet has a lot of minority voices for sure. Like shows like Broad right. City would never have happened. Totally. And yeah. insecure yeah. and all of that. So it's definitely um, opened things up and it's sort of amazing. Like also now that I'm in LA, like the number of, we talked about this a little bit, but the number of stories that Hollywood thinks no one will watch it and the internet just like mm-hmm. keeps proving them wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. now it's at a point where it's like when someone goes in and pitches, just admit that you have no idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that would never work. Right. It's like, well, you know what? You don't fucking know. Unboxing is huge. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they used to say that like nobody really cared about like women and minority stories basically, that it wouldn't do mm-hmm. well with a mainstream audience. So, um, so the internet has also done amazing things. I sound like Matt. I, know, I also I know. realized during this interview that I know Matt's theme song. Oh, yeah? What's that? Jen, can you help me with this song? Because I don't quite remember it. Um, sure. It's from South Pacific. Okay. <laughs> I think it goes, I'm just a cockeyed optimist. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that? I don't remember when this, it. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's not worth singing for our listeners, but uh, we're going to do it anyway. It goes, <laughs> when the sky is a bright canary yellow. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> I forget every cloud I've ever seen. Is that right? So they call me a cockeyed optimist. optimist. We're really off key. It's me. I'm off key. and incurably green. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing this show is known for and our audience loves, it's show tunes from the 40s. <laughs> I always say. Yeah. Matt, it's your theme song. He's just a cockeyed optimist. (laughs) (laughs) I guess my my last question here is like, as much as we shit on this idea that kids want to be today, kids want to be influencers, they want to be YouTubers, and we see that as a little bit problematic – I also see that as positive because it's a culture where it's like, hey, you want to be creative and famous, make it yourself and be successful yourself. Don't wait for don't wait for a big break. Yeah. We came from a culture of, hey, where's my big break? I'm owed a big break. And now we are hopefully in a culture of like, 
I'm going to make my own thing. And I, I as a person who likes to make stuff, I, I like that. I want that world for my kids if, if possible. So that's, that's the optimism there from, from me. Yeah. I mean, sort of, I think the idea of a break, big break has always been a really annoying fallacy. It's like, no, those are people who worked really, really hard. And now you yeah. finally know who they are. And then I still think there are people, there's a similar fallacy or not exactly where people think they're just like going to get discovered on the internet by putting up like yeah. crap, but I don't mm-hmm. know. But I see what yeah. you're saying. It's, it's, there's definitely, I mean, definitely the whole tech culture is more of an entrepreneurial spirit. Although Jen and I were doing research on the generations and interestingly, the generation coming up, Gen Z witnessed the recession and things like that and are supposed to be less entrepreneurial and they're supposed to mimic um, more of the, what's the other generation, Jen? The oldest Traditionalists one? who saw yeah, World War Yeah, they're actually II. supposed to yeah. be more like that which is really interesting. interesting. So, so we'll back and forth, happens, ebb and flow, right? Kiddos. That's interesting. Yeah. Gen Z youngins, keep us posted. Allie, you're Zoomers. so old school today. Zoomers, I like that. <laughs> Why am I so I didn't old make school? it up. Okay. Someone told me that. Oh, wait, what's a Zoomer? Voice today, it's, a, it's a boomer Gen Zer. I, I I don't know for sure, but I've heard that term, Banner. I think it just means Gen Z. I, I could be wrong. Interesting. Okay. Well, maybe if they are mirroring, well, they're not mirroring boomers, they're mirroring traditionalists, but. Okay, got it. Are traditionalists older than boomers? Traditionalists what, what are we talking are about? like 75 or 6 plus. Yeah. Oh. They're the oldest How people old are living. boomers then? Boomers? The oldest living people. Yeah, boomers would be, I guess, yeah, like early 70s down through, what do you think, like 60? Okay. But listeners, correct us if we're wrong. Well, speaking of correcting us if we're wrong. Yeah. What generations <laughs> are in our us. audience? Yeah. <laughs> also correct us if we're wrong on Twitter. I'm at June Bugger. I'm at Allie Gold. You can email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com and you can call us, leave us a voicemail and or text us. Please do. That phone number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. Last but not least, please join our Discord server, discord.gg slash 2G1P. Listeners of the show are there uh, submitting ideas for shows, interview questions, and just interacting with one another and with us. We'd love to see you there. Ali, if they would like to throw a little money away, how can they do this? I know it looks like we've got our shit together, but we don't. Go to patreon.com slash 2G1P to make a contribution. Any level, even if you give a dollar, it really helps us out. And for more than a dollar, <laughs> you get lots of fun perks. So please go donate. And we hope that we see your name there. All right, folks. Uh, and influencers Wait. alike. What? What? Jen, I think you wanted to know the demographics of our audience, and I'm kind of into that. You can tweet us your age. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, please. And uh, yeah, if, if you like uh, show tunes from the golden age of Broadway, uh, you know let about us know. Matt's theme song. I'm just a cockeyed optimist. All right, guys. So bye. They call me a cockeyed optimist, immature and incurably green. I have heard people rant and rave and bellow That we're done and we might as well be dead But I'm only a cockeyed optimist And I can't get it into my head Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Allison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula Then uploaded as a 10-hour YouTube video I mean produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City Production assistance is provided by the Pod Glomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source.
us for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe. I have bills to pay!